Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pearls of Wellness, brought to you by the Center for African American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson. In this episode, we continue our discussion about how we can take care of our bodies and keep ourselves as healthy as possible. My special guest, Timothy Farrard, will discuss ways in which we are using Western medicine for health and healing and the benefits of using Eastern medicine as well. Joining me today is my friend, Timothy Sadiq Farrard. Thank you, Deidre. <laughs> so let's, um, let's dive right in. One of the things we really want to educate community about is thinking about health more broadly than the medical system that we currently have to navigate. Um, given your expertise, we want to learn more about how you view health and holistic health, given your current work as an acupuncturist? Okay, well, generally, you know, people define health or it's broadly defined as freedom from disease, right? Soundness of mind, body, and spirit. However, I suggest we could take it a step further and think of it in terms of a condition of optimal well-being, right? Just being free from a disease is not enough. How about having excellent vitality as well? Mm -hmm. It almost it, it requires you to be more creative than we usually are because you just think, okay, at least I don't have this, I don't have that. Um, but how, how do you go about imagining what is possible for me if you haven't had a chance to think about that before? <laughs> Simple. Think about your 11-year-old self, right? How much vitality did you have? And some folks have been like sickly kids or whatever, but a normal healthy child at 9, 10, 11 years old, flexible, vibrant, bouncing off of walls, lots of energy, right? So how about reaching 50, 55, 60, and not necessarily having that much, you know, vitality, but it's still being significantly more than what we tend to think a 50, 60 year old person should look like. In other words, a high quality of life and a high quality of vitality and health and well-being for an extended period going into your elderly years. That sounds like a wonderful goal. So often you hear the term alternative medicine. And while we know what that means generally, to me, it's always just meant this is something different than what the system wants you to be exposed to. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about acupuncture, especially for someone who may have not tried it before? Acupuncture, right, is currently known as dry needling in a lot of circles. However, it has been known as acupuncture for thousands of years, right? So it's a system and it's a very complex system that has been devised, refined, studied, right, and analyzed and utilized for thousands of years um, in the Asian world. And so what, what might be going on with me where acupuncture is a good solution? Is it because I'm in oh, pain? Okay. Or? Well, that's <laughs> it's kind of hard to answer that one because, because Chinese medicine is a whole medical system, right? It's a whole medical system, meaning that 
the pathologies that you see in the Western world that we see every day, right? From depression and anxiety to digestive issues to gynecology, all of that can be addressed with acupuncture. And depending on, you know, the pattern or condition or how it presents itself, then we can get into the internal medicine or the herbal medicine, right? Mm. So these two are used together and acupuncture and herbal medicine together can address just about any health ailment or dysfunction health-wise that we see, you know, in the world today. I think that's something that people don't really realize that it is an entire system and not something you use, oh, I've got, you know, a pain here or an ache there. As a practitioner of Chinese medicine, can you say a little bit about how the approach how that approach is different from Western medicine? Well, let me say this. Western medicine and Chinese medicine or traditional Chinese medicine can be used together conjunctively, right? Instead of like, for example, instead of using that word alternative, we can think of it as an adjunctive system or integrative medicine. And this is kind of the verbiage that we're looking at you know, going forward, right? So mm -hmm. one of the real strengths of Western medicine, right, is acute diseases, right? If you get in a car accident, you're not going to come to me, right? You're gonna, I'm going to send you to the emergency room, right? But if you're still having neck pain three, four years after that accident, this is where acupuncture comes in. This is where the strength is. So to put it succinctly, Chinese medicine is good for chronic ailments and Western medicine is really good for acute emergency situations. Okay. How long did it take you to study this craft? Well, the program I went through was about three years. However, it becomes a lifelong study, right? So just like any physician of old, um, yeah, you can get licensed in a few years and go through the program. It's very challenging. However, it ends up being a lifelong study. It really has to be for you, the right type of people that are really inclined to studying this for a lifetime are the ones that usually get involved and stay involved and become successful over the long haul. So in about three years, you can do a master's or even a doctorate in traditional Chinese and acupuncture. And then from there, because there's so many, there's, because there's so much historical data and there's so much literature and there's so many different approaches. And you can like, for example, be a general practitioner or you can be a specialist, right? So we, we all learn to be general practitioners, meaning whatever you walk in my office with, I can begin to address it, right? Um, however, I noticed that, and this happens with a lot of acupuncturists, I've seen that they tend to draw in particular patterns, right? And maybe it's a community thing, but I've definitely dealt with a lot of depression, anxiety, right? And I've also dealt mm -hmm. with back pain. I know folks that, you know, really have gone down the, you know, gynecological, you know, for some folks, that's a big piece, that whole fertility thing. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking. It does. And if, if someone hadn't heard the term before, disease pattern, what does that really mean? Well, what it really means is that one of the real strengths of TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, 
is the recognition of disease patterns before the disease actually takes hold, right? So if you're a candidate for a heart attack, we're going to see it, right? It's very likely a competent practitioner can check your pulse, look at your tongue, right? Take a look at your emotional components, right? Your emotional body and, and other, there's other things, right? And there's telltale signs in our gait, the way we walk, you know, the tone of our voice, right? How we show up, our chi, our shin is what they call it, that luster in the face. You can seize the disease pattern. And that's kind of where the real strength in TCM is, is the diagnosis and differentiation of disease patterns is the real heart of it. Just like in life, when you, once you understand a problem, the solution becomes evident, right? If you don't understand the problem, it's like, what the... But once you're like, oh, I see what the problem is, it's almost like your mind just can instantly find the solution. So it's kind of like that. We spend a lot of time in problem definition, and then the answers or the solutions become evident based on the problem, problem solution. So I know um, that this wasn't your first career and that you did a career change to this field. What, um, what drew you to study Chinese medicine? Generally, just curiosity about optimizing health. So, you know, as a kid, I played sports and always took interest in, in health and wellness. And I loved getting in shape and competing. And then, you know, through my adult years, I kind of kept that and kept this interest in health and well-being, optimize, optimizing wellness. And it just got to the point where the interests became more, I became more driven by the interest in health and wellness than I was in creating databases and writing computer code. So <laughs> I was able to make that transition because I basically chose to, because I had a passion for it, right? I was running long distance. I was doing um, marathons, right? And I was optimizing my health and well-being, and I was finding ways to get out there and perform way beyond you know, what my age group <laughs> was doing. And I'm like, well, wow. So all my efforts to eat healthy, to sleep, to get rest, right? To take natural foods and to stay away from processed foods and just those simple things were enough to give me an edge and give me enough vitality to, you know, to win on the, you know, running the Denver marathon. I ran the Colfax marathon and I was doing quite well in my age range that it was almost unfair, right? So- mm -hmm. It's almost what you can do and what your potential is, is probably much higher than what we tend to think. And this kind of goes back to that health question where a condition of optimal well-being, right, is more so the goal than being free of disease. So I found some optimization in my own health and well-being, and I'm like, I can help others do this. So that's kind of like how it began. Listening to what you've shared with us, it really feels like traditional Chinese medicine is ultimately the best form of prevention. Like the focus is prevention. Is that true? The prevention part of it is huge, right? And I think it's a cultural thing, right? So in Asia and China, in places where they value this longevity and health and well-being, right, throughout life, it just becomes part of, part of the culture. As an African-American practitioner, how receptive have you found the local Black community to seeking acupuncture? 
Uh, that's a difficult question to answer because it seems that those that have been down the path of having to deal with, you know, health issues, right, are very receptive. Right? Mm -hmm. And that can go across across any culture and I think, you know, any any demographic. And I think that most people in the Western world think of needles like, you know, there's a little aversion to like, you're going to poke me with what and how does that work? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's like education, but I'm finding that folks that have gone down the path of discovering the limits of the current Western medical model, once they find the limits of it and start looking for answers, then they become very, very receptive. But that's counterintuitive in the sense that, hey, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, this indigenous approach to health and wellness is largely preventive. So when folks wait till after they've hit the juggernaut of Western medical limits, then it's like, oh no, like how do we get people involved well before, right, the disease pattern begins. And I think so, I think oftentimes we also want like an immediate fix. Um, I'll share with you, and I don't think I've shared it with you before. So when I was in my 20s was the first time I tried acupuncture. And it was because I used to have horrible cramps. And so I went to someone, um, and after that first visit, because there was absolutely no change, in my mind, I thought, well, this doesn't work. That was a waste of my time. But that's also because I, it wasn't a scenario where I was having a conversation about systems and processes, and this is really the approach. Where now, um, you know, and it, I think it's also how you engage in this work. When we've met, in as much as the different needles you're using, you really explain what's going on. Is that, um, I guess I just share that to, do you think that's an issue too about people engaging in it, needing to really know more about what it is that's going on, that it's not gonna be that immediate quick fix? Odds are, had I gone back a few more times, I might've seen something, I might've had a different experience because that really, it took me about, um, the, the second time I went was when I came to visit you, and that was probably good 40 years later. Wow. Okay. I think what I was trying to say was that we so often, even when we do seek something out, we want that immediate Western gratification or quick fix, or I want, you know, I want to be out of pain now, versus understanding that if you're really going to get to the root of something, it's going to take a minute, because it didn't take a minute for this to happen or this to develop or what yeah, it, it didn't take a minute true. for this disease pattern to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, the Western medicine is strong acting. The Eastern medicine, the herbal medicine is what they call weak acting, right? For example, if I'm giving you an herbal remedy to help blood and cheese stagnation, also known as pain, it might take six to eight weeks before the, we get to the, the, until the root of that issue, right, begins to dissipate. 
Whereas if you go to a Western medical system, they might give you one or two pills a day and the pain is gone, right? But the lack of flow of blood and chi and energy that's creating the, the blockage, right, is still there. So sometimes it takes a longer time to actually affect change at the root, right? And that will lead to a more lasting change because what we call the root and the branch, it's like Western medicine tends to treat the branch, meaning the symptom, whereas the diagnosis and differentiation skills or techniques in TCM give you the ability to not only treat the branch, so yeah, you should be able to get immediate relief, but also address the root causes so that over time, we can eliminate the root of the problem. And earlier you mentioned that different practitioners have um, their own, typically have their own particular focus. And another misconception I think I had before I met you was acupuncture being something for physical pain relief. But you mentioned one of your focus or your foci tend to be mental health. Can you explain the relationship between the energy you're talking about and our mental health? Well, I would definitely say that I'm pro-therapist and I'm pro-therapy, right? So I work with a particular therapist in Denver, Colorado here, and they refer people to me when they reach a particular impasse, right? And it depends on the 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 pattern right it, it depends on the the diagnosis and how this person's anxiety or depression or whatever may be showing up right because sometimes you know it's important to refer people out to a specialist a psychotherapist medication emergency or whatever but a lot of times people may have depression because they're just low in energy right and when your mm -hmm. energy's running low, you're kind of humdrum, like chronic fatigue, and you can't get stuff done. And now you feel bad because you don't have the energy to complete your task list. Like things like that, we can address because it's like, okay, well, you have this anxiety because you're, you know, you're looking to the future of something that hasn't even happened yet. And you want to get to it, but you don't have the energy to. So let's 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 strengthen your energy, right? So in TCM, we may look at your spleen and stomach and how the quality of food you're eating is giving you the energy you need. And then we're looking at what we call prenatal chi. Like, were you born with, you know, um, less energy? Were you an energetic child or not? Can we bring that back? And sometimes giving a person extra young chi, right? Giving them extra energy can brighten up their day, if you will, because now they can get things done. That's just one example. So really when you think of needling, that's just a slice of what you as an acupuncturist offer. That's true. That's true. So, you know, acupuncture is at the heart of it because there's so much we can address with it. But also I do cupping, right? The fire cupping, e-stem, electronic stimulation, twina, right? Which is therapeutic massage. I've recently introduced some sound healing. I've been experimenting with frequencies that are healing and helpful and resonate with, you know, the natural patterns like the Schumann frequency of the earth and stuff like that. So I've introduced that in. And also there's always the, um, the dietary therapy and then the herbal medicine. What are some questions that you get 
from community members about the work that you do? Or are, th are there any prominent questions that you get from them? Usually the questions I get are from people who have already kind of pondered it, may have used acupuncture in the past and are revisiting it. Um, these are usually folks that have read about it and looked into it and want to come and see someone because they're curious, right? I find that the average person just tends to have that aversion to needles and, you know, has kind of like a knee jerk response to you're not sticking in me with, you know, a needle. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, no way. You're crazy. Right. And that's the general attitude, I think, in the Western world for those that have never tried acupuncture or have never really been around it or even looked into it or investigated it. However, I find for those that begin to utilize it and do it on a regular basis, once the body begins creating the immune response and healing response that it naturally occurs upon, you know, the, the compromising of the dermis layer of your skin, you start using these needles. Once a person gets it, they're like, oh, that's how it works, right? And then they get a real strong sense of well-being. If I'm approaching a muscular skeletal issue, for example, you know, knee pain or back pain, a lot of times there's what we call this trigger point release where we have muscles that become contracted on a microscopic level, like the actin and the calcium and the chemicals that enable the smooth muscle to contract gets locked. And we get tightness, which leads to referred pain elsewhere in the body. So we're trained to find where that trigger point is. Where is that location where you have this, this, this contraction, this microscopic level contraction? And once a needle hits it, it releases. And when it releases, the muscle literally vibrates and can cause pain relief in areas that you had no idea that that particular area was the cause, right? So this is what we call trigger point acupuncture, and it's on that muscular skeletal layer, if you will. What's a good way, because I also wanted to touch upon Chinese versus African that we talked about earlier. One of the things I've observed, and I've seen people ask the question, well, what about African herbs? You know, what about, you know, in the Caribbean, you know, we have these systems and even in, you know, African-American community, we've had remedies, right? Mm -hmm. um, they were handed down by the grandmothers and grandfathers, you know, Usually the women in the family would have the medicine cabinet in the kitchen and knew exactly what to do when there was a disease, right? If a little, little baby gets sick, you know what and what not to give it, what and what not to do. When the children get sick or even back in the day when springtime came, grandma gave castor oil and stuff like that. We've lost a lot of that, you know, um, from the, what do you call it? The verbal tradition where we have... Um, these remedies and these medicines and these roots and plants, they were handed down. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. These, these medical remedies, these natural medical remedies that came from our grandmothers were often handed down verbally, right? And the same thing happened in Africa throughout the world. However, the difference between the African model and the Chinese is that the Chinese wrote it down, right? Whereas the African, Caribbean, African-American version, our culture got broken, right? So now we have a miscommunication and a loss of knowledge because of the griots or the verbal teachers no longer 
tell the same stories and we no longer get the same medical remedies handed down from great great grandma's cookbook right so because of the brokenness of the culture we've lost our medicine and there's no real comprehensive volume that's been written by our people in terms of indigenous african and black people the world over we don't have a definitive you know encyclopedia of it all whereas the chinese do it's the same thing the reason why they're called chinese herbs is because these are the herbs they found in their region right i can take the same traditional chinese medical principles and apply them to the herbs that grow in our particular region and we can use Colorado herbs, right? We can use Washington state herbs that grow in the natural environment in the same capacity. So there's a there's a an environmental and regional piece here that just gets kind of caught up in the language. So mm. a lot of it in short is that Africans kept a verbal tradition, they got broken, and then the Asians took the same and similar from their culture, they codified it and they put it on paper. Thank you for sharing that. I think it reminds me that so much of what gets lost when we start labeling things is really at the heart of it. The, the approach is similar, looking for really the cause and correcting it versus just um, slapping a Band-Aid or some short-term fix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. So you, you mentioned energy before, both when we were talking about health and mental health. And what you said earlier, which was fascinating about, um, Shay had mentioned crystal healing. So when we were talking about, you'd mentioned fire, water, earth, air, and colors and seasons and notes. What you're talking about when you talk about sound, when you're talking about the seasons, and you're talking about the crystals and things of that nature, these are essentially the fundamentals, right, of, of this traditional Chinese medicine um, system, right? And it goes beyond that. Like we were talking about, so, and this is my opinion, right? This is me talking. A lot of what is known in the traditional Chinese medicine system, a lot of it was once known the world over, right? Mm -hmm. When, when I talk about energy, when I talk about the seasons, when I talk about the body's organs and their relationships to the seasons, right, I suspect that this was part of a global culture at one time, right? It's just mm -hmm. that we've forgotten. We're like a people with amnesia. You know, I'm grateful that the Chinese wrote it down because it's almost like we're getting back what was once lost all over the world. Right. And the reason why I say that is because it's well known in many cultures that the color red can correspond to fire. Right. When you look at the health of an individual, that can correspond to a person's heart. Right. Water is universally known as the spirit. Right. But it also corresponds to your kidneys and your emotions. And the emotions are an indicator of the state of your spirit. So it gets real complex. But to simplify it, I like to say that we live in a closed system, right? Where the colors of the rainbow correspond to the notes of the musical scale, which also correspond to the seasons of the year. And that also corresponds to the body's organs, right? Like the organ that you play in church 
and the organs are in your body have a similar resonance. Like for example, the spleen corresponds to the note, I think it's C. And I have a chart that outlines these things, right? So if you're having a spleen chi deficiency, I can play the sound that corresponds to that. Its color is yellow, right? So I can give you the color to help tonify and give you more stomach spleen energy, right? I can play a certain note. I can give you certain foods and herbs correspond the same way. So it's a system of correspondence. And this might get a little technical, but the Western medical system approaches science from a syllogistical, logical point of view, which is great because that's a solid way to approach things. But the traditional Chinese medicine and indigenous healthcare system uses what we call synthesis, right? Thinking in correspondences and finding relationships between things that will enable you to affect change. Well, as I was listening to you, it also made me think of when I think about the indigenous methods. What was the word you used for the indigenous? So, so I said that the Western medical system approaches the science of medicine through syllogistic, syllogistic. Cartesian logic, right? Mm -hmm. This is A plus B equals C. One plus one equals two. And it leads to a very sound science. There's nothing really wrong with it. However, in indigenous culture and in traditional Chinese medicine, the thinking modality is what they call synthetic, right? It's actually thinking in correspondences. Meaning, for example, your body's liver corresponds to the spring time, right? It also has correspondences in terms of not only the time of year, but also the sound of a particular note on the musical scale, right? A particular color, a particular set of herbs, right? It also, so in another way to put this is to say that your body's organs, according to TCM, have a physiological function as well as an energetic function. And this is what takes that whole thinking in correspondences, right, to the next level. Because if, you're, if your liver has a physiological function, which is a chemical factory, right, we know that all the food that we eat eventually gets filtered to the liver before it gets released into our bloodstream. That's the physiological function, it's very chemical. But the, the energetic function, of the liver is such that it creates a modality of the life force, right? The chi, the life force, your spirit. It modifies a particular bandwidth of that, right? That corresponds to when it's healthy, having a smooth flow, right? Being able to go through life without too many obstructions. So when your liver chi is unhealthy or it's blocked, the energetic of your liver, that's when a person has a, a temper, right? So if you come to my office and you have a temper and a short fuse and you're always angry at this, that, and the other, first thing I'm going to do is look at your liver, right? Check your liver pulse, right? Look into your eyes because they say the eye, the liver opens into the eyes. Each one of the body's organs open to one of your, for example, like I said, the liver opens to the eyes, right? And that's why when somebody red, their eyes turn red, right? 
And then the kidneys open to the ears, right? Also to the hair. So if your kidneys are having an issue, sometimes that's when you get tinnitus, right? You start hearing a ringing in your ears, mm -hmm. right? So you're getting these, these signals, right? From your body's organs energetically. And this is part of that diagnosis piece where we're able to see what the disease pattern is based on these things that may seem irrelevant or small, but over time they can get large. If you walk through life with lots of anger, you're damaging your liver, right? If you're always hot-headed, that's damaging your liver, and then you're creating blockages because the condition of your life force, the condition of your chi is reflected directly by the experience of your day-to-day -day life, right? So for example, if you're angry all the time and you got your liver inflamed and your eyes are red, well, guess what you're gonna experience? You're gonna keep getting obstructions and blocks in your efforts and you're gonna keep getting angry and you're gonna blame everybody around you not realizing that you're creating the obstruction based on the quality of your liver chi. So now we're starting to get into the spiritual aspect, right? Where your emotional body is an indicator of your health and well-being. So for example, if you sit quietly and watch your emotions, pay attention to what comes up emotionally. Well, the emotions that present themselves the lights on the dashboard of a car and they can indicate that you might need a attitude change right so basically your your emotions indicate the quality right of your life force your chi and therefore your body's organs so if you're getting sadness and depression and you're like well i don't know why i feel sad and a lot of times we might feel sad or angry or whatever the emotion is and then we attribute it to something in our life not realizing that the real root of that depression or fear is coming from weak kidney chi, right? Mm. So a person that's fearful and depressed, they might just need some chi boost in their kidneys, right? Because we so, are our own system. We are our own self-contained system. And of course, increasingly, people are becoming more and more aware because we're living in a time where people are waking up, right? Stay woke, that your personal reality tunnel and the events that you experience in your life and the quality of the events and the relationships and the circumstances of your life are a direct reflection of the quality of your life force. They're a direct reflection of the quality of your mental and emotional health and well-being. So if you, if you want to have good experiences, then you create them internally first, right? If you're having a stomach spleen excess, then you're overthinking things. You're second guessing yourself and now you're meeting with failure. And it looks like, well, this person just overthinks everything and makes bad decisions when all they have to do is sedate their spleen stomach chi and slow down their decision and thinking process and really learn to take one step at a time without analyzing and, and, you know, pensing over every little detail, right? This is a pathology, right? That down the road can lead to ulcers, right? And the stomach spleen system for a long time, even in our own community, the black community, we would hear like, you worry, you're going to give yourself an ulcer, right? Well, that's true, right? Because the stomach spleen system corresponds to our ability, right? Once again, thinking in correspondences, the stomach spleen system corresponds to our thinking, right? 
And if it's in excess, then we're overthinking, right? If it's if it's sedated and it's weak, it's like you're too lazy to think. Like you don't want to think through stuff, right? So it gets interesting in that way because we will hear a lot of stuff in our in our language, not realizing the real root of it. Like if you say if you've ever heard the term or that phrase, the gall of that person, how could they do that? Like the gall. Well, the gallbladder just happens to be one of the body's organs when it's healthy that enables you to have courage to go ahead and stand up for yourself. Right. If your gall chi is excessive, then you might start stepping on other people's toes, right? If your gall is weak, it's like I'm a doormat, right? So behavior patterns, emotional patterns, behavior patterns, and experiences in your day-to-day -day life are all directly related to your internal environment and overall health and well-being. That was fantastic. So I have a question for you, and um, how do you describe, like professionally, how do you describe yourself? Of course, I'm a licensed acupuncturist, but mm -hmm. I'm so much more than that. And because <laughs> that's what I'm I, getting to, <laughs> right? So yeah, because I do astrology, right, and that has been traditionally part of traditional Chinese medicine. It's been a you know a component of indigenous medicine and spirituality, right, and health and wellness. And has all been historically one system, right? In the Western approach, coming from Greek civilization to where we are today, we have this separation, right, of spirituality from health and well being, right? We have this fragment, and that is the result of syllogistical, logical thinking, right? The, the end of that mode of thinking leads to the separation of health and well-being physically and health and well-being spiritually and this is why there's a gap between well one of the reasons why there's a gap between mental health right mental health has not been thoroughly addressed because that is the that is the battleground or the beginning of getting involved in spiritual health spiritual health right and i mentioned astrology and spirituality and spiritual health and mental health and physical health was approached from one system, right? And in today's world, especially in Western civilization, based on Greek civilization, is where you know the West is was born, right? The syllogistical Cartesian logic, right? That Western left-brain logical thinking, the natural end result of thinking only in that mode leads to the separation of spirit and matter or spiritual health and physical health right and when it comes to a whole system your physical body and its well-being and your spiritual body the bridge between those is the mind and this is one of the reasons why in my opinion mental health isn't being addressed because once you truly address mental health now you're addressing the spirit of the people as well Right. And that changes everything. So there's this big gap. You know, in each conversation, we really want to talk about solutions. What's been so wonderful about this conversation is um, the work that you do is, is part of a solution. But when you think about the state of the world and how our medical approach really keeps Chinese medicine and other things at arm's length, what would be a solution to 
bringing things more in alignment and to breaking down the barrier to accessing the kind of services that you offer. Well, of course, we can't get around the concept of money, right, and cost. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Money is a concept that really we can overcome the money barriers, right, the the money issues. I think sometimes we make it more of an issue Mm -hmm. than it really needs to be. The reality is we know African-Americans we're like one of the largest economies in the world. If you just look at our community, we have plenty of money, right? So in my opinion, in my mindset, it is a cultural shift, right? It's a cultural paradigm shift. And one of the solutions I think is just like for people like yourself, you know, and your staff and those who are um, under within your sphere of influence, right? Again, taking leadership in terms of using the medicine, living the holistic health style, doing the Tai Chi, doing the Qigong, doing the yoga, doing the deep breathing, getting the fresh air and sunlight, seeing your acupuncturist, putting together a healthcare team that's based on your personal responsibility and research, right? I've even had folks that came to me and I said, look, I'll barter with you. Like we can just make an exchange of goods and services based on what you do, right? And I know that not all acupuncturists are that way, but I bet you the black ones in our community would do it, especially if we sat down and said, hey, you guys, let's, let's come up with ways to make it more accessible, right? To our community, I barter, do you barter? Let's treat each other. So it's a each one teach one mentality. It's a one person at a time, each person do what they can, take responsibility for changing that paradigm shift within your own mind and life. And I think that's where it really begins. The solution begins with us. Full disclosure and the change and the responsibility begins with us. And that's the only way it's ever going to change because they are not going to do it for us. We already know that I'm preaching to the choir, but we can do it. We can be the ones that begin to research and support one another in our quest for health and well-being as individuals and a community as a whole. Each one take responsibility and pass it on. Can you talk a little bit about um, a new collaborative effort going on in our city? And I know you were a part of it, um, that the Aya Foundation and Righteous Rays Institute came together this summer to launch. Definitely, definitely. And it's a group I am really proud and and, 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 you know, I'm really enjoyed, right? It's, it's, I can't even find the words. Like I'm ecstatic. It's great to be a part of their program. And essentially my understanding what it is, a nonprofit, right? That is utilizing their resources to make holistic healthcare accessible, right? To the community at large, right? So there's basically a 90 day challenge, right? where we have a bunch of folks from our community that are looking at not only coming to practitioners like myself and others like Michaela Sanders. She is doing some phenomenal work going way beyond just massage. You know, we have Corey Brown. He's another acupuncturist. He's actually working on his doctorate right now. He's killing it. We got Uda doing spiritual readings, like bringing some light to the patterns that are people are experiencing in their life. We got myself, Timothy Sadiq Farrard, 
doing astrology charts, right? Along with acupuncture and integrating, you know, both systems, right? And it's being funded by the Righteous Rage Institute. And this is one of those things that really is, in my opinion, is kickstarting a higher level of awareness, health and well-being in our community. And it's really great that there's a lot of folks out there now that are going to see what's available more so than what they knew of just six months ago. The other thing I wrote down, but it wasn't a question, but I circled it, was the term indigenous African spirituality. When it comes to indigenous African spirituality, it's kind of been illegal, right? It's kind of been a social taboo. It's always kind of been in certain groups, thinking back before I began to research and look into it, I realized that a lot of our sisters, Black women, have been onto it, I think, and this is just my opinion, much sooner than a lot of the brothers, right? I think it's in our, I think it's the spiritual system that's kind of in our DNA. It's within our nature. And I think this is why you get a lot of Black folks that love the church, right? It's been a historic part of the community because spirituality is part of our constitution. It's how we're made, right? Mm -hmm. But we've forgotten about our indigenous practices and we've been told they're evil. Well, anything could be used for good or evil. I've discovered one of the reasons why it's so taboo and it's been so forbidden is because it's powerful, right? It's very self-empowering to reconnect with your ancestors, right? To go ahead and remember your grandmother and your grandmother's grandmother and piece it all the way back together to the first creator. And that's what they do. That's what we do. We adhere to our grandmothers and grandfathers. We listen to what our ancestors had to say. We keeping your grandmothers and your grandfather's wisdom connects you to your past. That's a powerful concept in itself because going, taking the lineage back as far as you can go, you're going back to the creator, right? So that's a, one of the concepts of in, that alone is very powerful just to implement the idea of um, you should respect elders. You should respect people that are older than you and those that are older and wiser should have some say so in what's happening in the community. I mean, that's just simplifying it. Right. That's not even getting into, you know, the deeper aspects of, you know, the archetypes, right? And the personality types that correspond to the angelic beings. And we get that deep. But if we could just as a community say, hey, we're going to respect our elders, I'm going to go find my grandmother or that old lady down the street. I'm going to sit down with her and see is she does she have something I can learn from? You know, sometimes people can there is such thing as an old fool, but there's also a lot of elderly people that can bring a lot of knowledge and wisdom to our community that connects us with one another and it connects us back with our creative power to be able to have that respect for our elders. And I just can't emphasize that enough. Find an elder in your community and connect with them. And you know, it is no surprise that. When you're when you're trying to enslave a group of people, of course you're gonna try to convince them that everything that is their history is negative or evil. So if I wanted to learn more about indigenous African spirituality, what would you suggest? I would suggest a good starting place. And I really believe this. I think this is great. Um, 
you know, one of the hallmarks and one of the one of the um, institutions that has been historically, a, you know, a component of indigenous culture, African and otherwise, throughout history is initiation, right? And, and this is one of the problems with our young men. Our young boys are not being initiated into manhood and being given specific responsibilities and finding their true gifts and talents and qualifying themselves for wives and qualifying themselves to actually be men in the community, right? We grow up and we're like weeds out here, right? We've lost our indigenous practices in regards to initiation and the definitive line between childhood and adulthood, right? We our, our, our childhood tends to seep into our adult thinking and then it's just ridiculousness, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the solutions, right, for this is a group called the Inward Journey. Um, you can go to inwardjourney.org and sign up. They do these initiation processes uh, two or three times a year. Right. And this is something practical. It costs a few hundred dollars. You can work with them. They have ritual elders. It's sometimes they hold their events here in Colorado. Most of the time it's down in Tennessee and Mississippi. It requires some commitment. It requires a little bit of resources and time, but it's well worth it to get involved with your community of folks who realize right how important it is to reinstitute some of that hierarchy, right? And you notice I didn't say patriarchy or matriarchy, but the mm -hmm. hierarchy of elders, men and women, bringing their knowledge and wisdom, right? And experience to younger folks, right? And even if you're in your 70s or 80s, you could still go because you'll meet your peers that can give you a lot of what's missing. If you have young boys or young girls, you can go to inwardjourney.org and sign up and show up for a process that will awaken, right? A part of your being that has been sleep through a lot of the polluted music, art, dance, you know, a lot of the, how do I put this? A lot of the lower vibration entertainment that has solidified a lot of our community into an extended childhood well into their thirties, mm -hmm. right? So this can be broken through ritual practices that are indigenous to our people. Inwardjourney.org is a great place to begin. From there, you'll find that you have people from various communities and various elder groups and ritual elders that come from all walks of life because there's many different approaches, many different ways to approach tapping into the divinity within your own being and shedding that lower idea of yourself and and seeing that it's your birthright to grab a higher idea of yourself and cultivate and nurture that and then share it with the world where people with amnesia it's time to remember that was fantastic um i was going to say something but that amnesia statement um oh pause so i think we need to end on that amnesia statement but what you what you were saying earlier really reminded me of. Um, I remember being at an event years ago, and someone was talking about how if you have fleas in a jar, and you have a top on the jar, the fleas live there. That becomes their home, and if you take the top off, 
they still will never go above the level of that lid. And so much of what the system has done to our folks has been that. Because once you distort a history, enslave a people, and get them to um, lose love for themselves, it, it's like a, it's a self-perpetuating sad cycle. And so I'm glad that there are folks slowly working to make sure that we all start thinking bigger. And it's interesting because other cultures are able to go back and reclaim their history and it's applauded. Yet when we do, there's a problem. So I'm glad that there are folks who really are helping us do that. Doing the work is what we call it, doing the work. And it starts with each individual doing their own work, right? Because if that flea is stuck based on its conditioning, well, a flea is a gnat, right? This is an insect. Mm -hmm. We as the type of beings we are, some people call it human. Well, we're mammals, right? But we also have a divine nature. And this is what I was alluding to when I talked about the mind being the bridge between the animal nature and the divine nature, right? The divine nature or the divine aspect of our being comes online through challenge. It comes online through the difficulties that we experience. However, the mind is the battleground. That's where the war is. What is the meaning that you're giving to the challenge that you're experiencing? And when you mm -hmm. have elders, when you have culture, when you have principles and values that are rooted in the natural order of this realm called earth that we live in, then the challenges that you face and you overcome while holding the higher ideas and principles in your mind, awaken the divinity within yourself. Right. And these are some of the things you learn when you get into, you know, spirituality doesn't even have to be indigenous African, because like I said, these things were known globally, right? And yes, our enslavement has done a number on us, but at the end of the mm -hmm. day, there's a choice that we have to make. We're not gnats, right? We're actually created in the image and likeness of the creator with the seed of divinity that must be watered and must be cracked open through challenge and hardship. There is no other way. That is what the earth realm is for. We're in earth school. This is what I taught my children. Hey, it's supposed to be a little challenging. You're supposed to be challenged. Being heard is part of it, right? It doesn't mean we don't love you. It doesn't mean that you are you know, less than anything or anyone. You're great. And this is gonna bring the greatness out of you by facing this and dealing with it. And if you have to sit down and take a few breathers, it's all right, but get back up, right? So at the end of the day, it's that mental health piece, right? Mm -hmm. They can make the difference between being stuck in this animalistic state of despair or awakening your potential and giving other people around you the permission to do the same, right? And this is one of the reasons, in my opinion, that as Black folks, we haven't been allowed, right, to go back and do Sankofa and retrieve our history and culture and celebrate it. Well, I think one of the wounds that we have ancestral from our experience as slaves here 
that wound has to be resolved. We need to go back and fix that, right? What does that look like? It does look like tapping back into your indigenous ways. Like they say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Exactly. We have to be willing to try something different, right? And I think one of the reasons why, and this might be a little bit hard pill to swallow, and we know that the black community has been used as the canary in the coal mine, right? They're going to try new drugs out on us first. They're going to try new social engineering and psyops on us first. But know this, what they're doing to our community, they're doing to everybody. And this is one of the divide and conquer techniques that has been used for the ruling class to rule the masses. We think it's just about us, but trust me, other communities are getting whooped too. They're getting it pretty bad. It's just that we get it first. And then mm -hmm. they refine their processes on the rest of the society. Just for example, the crack epidemic of the 80s and 90s. It hit our community hard. They made it a police action, right? And they pretty much turned it into an executive jailhouse situation as opposed to a mental health crisis. Fast forward to the 2000s, 2020, you know, up into the turn of the century. Now you have a large component of folks in the white demographic. You have a lot of Caucasian white folks addicted to opioids and dying, right? So it's the same thing, but in a different package and a different style, right? Broken families in the black community. Now the broken families in the larger community approaching similar, not quite as bad, but breaking up the family, they perfected it in our community but trust me, other folks are getting it too. And um, even though I say 30 minutes, Shayla is just going to kind of edit um, to be as long as it feels interesting. And this is going to be a good one. Yeah, I think um, I have a few. There's a few things I've said that might be intriguing and capture or pique people's interest. Not all of it. Some of it might be dry and boring. But I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's real important for each individual to realize that there's a human condition, right? Humanity mm -hmm. is in trouble at large because we have been, and when I say we, I mean those of us that are descendants of slaves, the black African-American community, because we have been so thoroughly targeted with psyops and engineering and, you know, these, this, this bad music and our image and our broken families and our are men that have not been properly initiated into manhood and, you know, all of this stuff, right? I suspect for us to get it together, we can definitely affect change in the world to the opposite momentum, right? Like I said earlier, we tend to be the first fired, the last hired. We're the first to get the new social programs, right? That create dysfunction, come to our communities first. I think that if we reverse that, then we can affect change across all demographics. Like, it's almost like there's a real key with us. Otherwise, they would just leave us alone and let us get it together. Because if you leave people alone, they tend to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're being interfered with. And I don't think it's just us. I think the population at large, humanity is under attack. So for us to get free, for us to awaken, for us to find our power and to set things right with peace and love, I suspect is one of the answers to solving the problem on a national and international level. 
Just my opinion. I love that though, because our healing journey is really a global healing journey. It is, and it is. And because our wound is so deep and we've been hammered so much. Like for example, when when black men were getting killed by the police regularly and it was all over the news and people seen it and then black folks are killing one another and they're saying, we're well, not addressing black sound black, but the police, blah, blah, blah. Well, one thing that people were missing is how black folks get treated in court. So they haven't mm -hmm. talked about that. You talk about the police in the streets, but let's pop the lid on the, on the, you know, on the penile system, on the, on the court system and, 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 and put that under a microscope. There's crimes that have been committed against our community to keep us in disarray. We know that. And that disarray spreads out to the rest of the society. Right. And then you have a lot of white folks that are like, look at these black people there. You know, this is a cancer in the community, in, the, in our country. They're the problem. Right. And it's just formatting strife between the races, the genders, right, the classes and people fall for it. So it's like a deliberate action. Right. When the reality is we have to take our own minds back. We have to take back our mental fortitude. We have to take back our health, our wellness. We have to reinstitute the components of our indigenous culture in a modern way, which basically means live in according to the laws that govern life, right? No more excuses and go ahead and put our best foot forward and build. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Tim. But I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And I know I'm I'm very idealistic, like, you know, and that's my nature. I'm very idealistic. I'm very hopeful, right? For the future within us, within our DNA, within the human spirit. Something about us black folks too. <laughs> we can change the world. Thank you so much, Timothy. I like to end every episode with an affirmation or thought for the day. Today I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes by the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Well, that's our show for today. For the next episode, I'll be discussing maternal, physical, and mental health. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Pearls of Wellness, brought to you by the Center for African American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson. Remember, everything can be transformed. So design the you that you want to become. <laughs> <laughs>